Hello, everyone, and welcome to Eisner Amber's podcast series. We're always interested in the latest trends and developments, as well as any related business and accounting opportunities and challenges. Today, we're taking a look at cryptocurrency and as it relates to reporting standards. I'm your host, Dara Albright, and with us today is Tom Cardinale, tax partner at Eisner Amper. Tom, welcome and thanks for being here. Thank you. Great to be here. Great. I figured we would just kind of jump right into it with some questions relating to a lot we've been hearing about people failing to report um, their cryptocurrency gains and losses. So I figured we would jump right in with a question. What do you attribute to the lack of cryptocurrency tax reporting? Well, in short, it's a very convoluted process. You know, right now, crypto exchanges aren't like your normal brokerage exchanges where you trade stocks and bonds. It's really its own animal. And crypto exchanges are currently not required to fill out what we call a 1099B, which reports gains and losses like you would have for uh, stock transactions. So it's basically every exchange is for themselves. And what they give you could be anywhere from a summary of just what you sold, just the proceeds. Other times you may have to download the entire history for the calendar year of all crypto transactions you made. And it could be wind up being thousands of lines of microtransactions. So it's an extremely difficult burden to compile all of that data, especially if you're an avid trader. And the other side of it is that because the SEC is still debating itself whether to characterize crypto as a security or commodity or utility, they do not have any written rules yet of what crypto exchanges should be providing to uh, traders and taxpayers. So with that, a lot of taxpayers, based on history and the lack of reporting of gains, seem to think they're getting a free ride and they don't have the obligation to report the gains and losses when in actuality they should. So I think it's a case of a still uh, system in its infancy with currently a lot of burdensome record keeper record keeping requirements and it's just very difficult for a taxpayer to know without doing a lot of work themselves of what gains or losses they incurred during the tax year to put on their tax return so do you think that requiring the digital currency platforms like such as a coinbase and and making them actually issue 1099s to all their customers would that be helpful in protecting customers avoid a lot of these future tax consequences it absolutely would uh, right now and, and i'm glad you brought up coinbase because that's a great example coinbase does issue uh, a standard 1099 called a 1099k a 1099K is required if there is any transactions in total over $20,000 of gross volume and 200 individual transactions. So at a minimum, they will give that to any material traders of crypto, but it will only report the gross volume, meaning the gross proceeds. There is no indication anywhere of what the cost is of those cryptos and if there's a gain or loss on those 1099Ks. And as I said before, there's no requirement for them to issue a 1099B, which would show all that detail of gains and losses, which ironically was only made uh, a law about 10 years ago for stocks and bonds to report cost basis. Brokerage houses now have to report cost basis. When in you know in the 1990s, 80s, they, they weren't required. So it's almost like we're coming to a new 
uh, circle, so to speak, with crypto starting out similar to how stocks, stock reporting started, where it was just proceeds only. But so we have a ways to go uh, for crypto to report uh, cost basis. But that, I think, collectively is a reason why there's been so few reporting of the transactions by the taxpayer. That's really interesting. And do you foresee that that transaction threshold, the 220K and the 200 plus transactions, do you do you foresee that that threshold changing at any point in the future? I don't. I th- it, The 20,000 threshold has been around for several years. Uh, they could. Uh, they could adjust it upward uh, or maybe downward as a result of the IRS and their ongoing investigations to unreported gains. They may push to lower that threshold. But as of now, there's been no talk of changing that 20,000 or 200 individual transaction threshold. But but even as you say, there are no free rides. So even for smaller uh, investors that have that are under that threshold, they should still be reporting as well. Yes, absolutely. So could you discuss some of the importance of good record keeping? You know, we started touching upon that in the last question, but why has it been such a challenge, um, especially when it comes to cryptocurrency transactions? It's again, it's such a convoluted process. And and I'll even use my own personal experience with crypto. And I and I've used Coinbase where I go to the website and you have a menu options on the website. And I'm just looking for something like tax center or year-end summary of transactions or gains and loss report. And it's very difficult to find anything on that. You will find some certain areas where they summarize your proceeds, um, but nothing conventional like a 1099B, where it gives you the date and summarize uh, every transaction, the gain, the loss, any transaction fees, et cetera. You basically have to go the extra step of downloading all of your transactions into it like a data dump, like a CSV or an Excel-based file, and you have to sort through all of your sale transactions, your purchase transactions, and come up with a short and long-term uh, gain or loss on all those transactions. So it's just a lot of work that is burdened on the taxpayer, and I think that is a, a, one of the reasons it's curbing them from re- actually reporting the, the gains and losses. Yeah, that's really interesting. Do you think some of the having the twenty four hour markets um, also creates an issue? I mean, at least when we have stocks, you know, that we know how it closed on a certain day. It's, I guess it's easier to keep track of. Yeah, and that's another thing. the The crypto market uh, never sleeps, so there's never a close where transactions can be settled and summarized. You know, I, I also have my own regular stock brokerage account, and it can give you on the day of closing at at a, when the stock exchange closes, gives you a summary of your activity of the day, any gains and losses during the day, unrealized gains and losses, et cetera. But you don't have that in crypto because it, there's never a stopping point. It's a continuous uh, brokerage. Yeah, we're in definitely a new paradigm here. Uh, let's switch gears for a second and talk a little bit about the cryptocurrency loan sector um, because they have been really experiencing some strong growth this year. And even as the market declined, many cryptocurrency investors we've seen uh, were, were reluctant to sell at lower levels. Could you discuss some of the tax implications of cryptocurrency loans, uh, what borrowed, borrowers as well as lenders need to be mindful of? Sure. And let me give a 30-second overview of how these loans work. 
I think what lending companies are seeing and the banks are seeing is that the, the crypto market is starting to stabilize. You're seeing Bitcoin in this tight three to 4,000 range, almost going on a year now. And th they're saying that I think this is a good floor that could act as collateral for a loan. So what they're doing is you're seeing all these new, not exchanges, but they're new online marketplaces for lending, for uh, individual or small business lending. And what you would do is you would need to deposit your coins, whatever it is, Bitcoin, Ethereum, into these wallets, let's call them bank wallets, in, in the, on the websites that are lending you the money. And what that money, that crypto does is it acts as collateral for the loan. But they are holding your crypto. You're already giving it to them for, their, uh, for them to hold in case of a breach or non-payment of the loan. And there's different percentages of what you would need to uh, put up as collateral. Sometimes it's 80% of the value of the loan. It could be 60%. That all ranges, you know, d depending on the, the platform. But that's generally how it works. And I think the goal of that is to attract more of their business in case crypto goes more mainstream in terms of purchasing items, which has transaction fees. So these lenders would like to be kind of the all-in-one hub for those for that future business they're trying to get these people let's call it into their wallet now in case it branches out into a new revenue stream so they have that customer with them already even though it just started with a loan in terms of the tax implications there's two things to remember if you obtain a loan through one of these crypto lending institutions the interest on that is not going to be deductible it's it's considered a personal loan it's not backed by your uh, mortgage or, or your uh, primary home, which has actually been more restrictive from tax reform. They put some more limitations on home mortgage interest. But personal loans, you cannot take a deduction for on the interest. That's one thing. The second thing is, let's say you have a scenario where you defaulted on this crypto loan and, uh, and your collateral was not enough to cover it, your crypto collateral then any excess of debt forgiven you had on that loan is taxable to you at mm -hmm. ordinary income rates, which is now up to 37% ordinary rate uh, at the federal side. Plus, you may have it at the state level as well. It could be taxable there. That's really interesting. And I, and I think the whole cryptocurrency loan sector itself um, is really a, an interesting area of the market to keep an eye on. So really, thank you for providing insight as to the tax implications. So Tom, Credit Karma estimates that Americans lost $1.7 billion and had unrealized losses of more than $5 billion in the uh, 2018 crypto bear market. Does that figure seem accurate to you? To me, it does not. If you look at the crypto boom of 2017 at the end of 17, the market cap of all cryptocurrencies worldwide, you know, touched a little over half a trillion dollars collectively. And now there was the massive sell-off in January and February of 18, a lot of that due to what was reported as uh, uh, selling off to have enough proceeds to pay off the taxes on those gains. But the market in 18 steadily kept going down and down to where the market cap at the end of 18 was around the $150 billion area. So you're going from around $500 billion to $150 billion of market cap. So that's a $350 billion reduction. It's hard right. to believe that the realized losses would only be 
uh, $5 billion and the rest would be unrealized. It seems like there was a massive sell-off that was recognized transactions. I would estimate that number to be much, much higher than uh, 5 or $6 billion. Which says that most people, even more people than we may even really realize are failing to report, which is really interesting. Yeah. And, and that, and I don't know of all the details of their study from Credit Karma, but I don't know if they were just looking at US-based customers because crypto is a worldwide uh, com- commodity and slash security. And there's only so much information you could get depending on the foreign country and governments, you know, what they're willing to relay on such a study. But as a worldwide crypto market, there's been hundreds of billion dollars lost in 18. So I think the losses are just much higher. The realized losses are much higher. Then comes to the issue, well, are these people that have not reported their gains in 17, are they now going to come forward and report their losses as a capital loss in 2018? We're waiting to see if that happens. Um, you know, because there is a matching principle, you report both gains and losses. Um, so while there was no voluntary flood coming from the people that recognize huge gains in 17, we may see that flood come from people reporting losses in 18. I agree. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Tom, I just want to say thank you so much for your expertise. This has really been fantastic insight. No, my pleasure. And I'd like to thank everyone else for listening to Eisner Amper's podcast series. Please visit EisnerAmper.com for more information on this and a host of other topics as well.